Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. Okay, so I, I want to bring a word to you today. I'm, I'm actually pausing this season we're in. We've been in a season called Awake. Uh, but th- I'll tell you the reason I'm pausing it for just a second. We'll pick it back up uh, in, in future weeks. I'm pausing it because I believe I have a word for our house. I believe I have a word for this house. And if I feel like the Lord is speaking to me, I don't really care what season we're in. I, I'm, not that, I'm not that obsessed with sermon series. I'll just stop the series and say what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say. And then we'll pick the series back up if, if the Lord so chooses. But a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, we went on a retreat. The leadership of the church went on a retreat. We call it a strat op. It's like a strategic operation. It's a strategic initiative. We're going to go and we have a mediator and they help us walk through things and, 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 and uh, look at big picture things. And really the goal is to start with a big idea uh, of where we are as a church, but how do we get to where we want to be as a church? And we funneled, if you're in the business world, you understand these strategic ops, these strategic ops and SWOT analysis and all these things. And we want to come away from this retreat with three initiatives that we believe as leaders and we believe the Holy Spirit has spoken to us that if we accomplish these three things, it will propel our institution, it'll propel our church forward. And it was great. We had, we had an amazing time. But there was a moment that happened at this retreat that was probably one of the more powerful moments I've experienced in, in a leadership retreat setting where the power of God just fell. And we had, you know, I, I, I want to use the word epiphany, but it wasn't an epiphany. It was a truly a revelation of what we felt like the Lord was saying to this house. And it was a word over me as the pastor, but it was a word over the leadership. It was a word over our entire staff. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago at staff meeting. And now I want to deliver this word to you because I believe it's a word for you because you're a part of this house. And I believe this is, this is, this is a rhema word. And if you've, you know, if you've like, oh, the rhema word, if you, if, if you don't understand what that means or you've heard it said, but you don't understand the meaning of that word, it's very simple. It's a Greek word. There's two words for the word, word of God, the, the, the logos or the logos, uh, which is the written word of God and the rhema word. And the rhema word is simply a passage in the Logos that the Holy Spirit highlights and says, this is a word for you today. And I believe that this, this text and this word that I want to bring to you uh, is a word for our church. And I'll begin to explain to, to, that why, to you why um, as we go about. And I'm going to tell you more about this leadership retreat as we go about that. Uh, today's topic is, is probably one of the most important topics to me uh, because of its impact on my life. And as I practice it, I'm able to do more than I ever thought I would be able to do as a leader uh, when I insert this practice into my life. Um, I'm like Paul. I don't consider myself to have yet achieved this. <laughs> I have not figured this out completely. It's a journey for me. But people ask me all the time, how are you a president of a university and a pastor of a church at the same time? How is that even physically possible? There's only a couple of ways. One, it's the grace of God. It's a calling, and God's hand is on it. And when God's hand remo- when God removes His hand from it, it will no longer be capable possible. So that's the first and foremost. The second way is I have an amazing staff. Like we should stop and just thank our staff. The pastors and the staff of this church are unbelievable. And this, the third, the third way is what I want to talk to you about today. Um, it's there's a lot of hard things I do as a leader. This thing that I'm about to talk to you about is the hardest thing for me in leadership. 
And so today I want to talk to you about rest. It's really hard to rest. It's really hard to force ourselves to stop. And so I want to talk to you on the subject of the hard work of rest. Because it really is hard work. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis, the book of Genesis. Uh, We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Let's start in chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. God is creating this earth that we now live on. And he does it in in six days. And then on the seventh day, he does something very important. And you know the story. I won't linger on it. But in verse 31 of chapter 1, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. You look good. Like God, God finished and he stepped back and he's like, I'm bad to the bone. Like this is good stuff. This, I'm. And, then he, and then it says, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So we understand that it was, that was on the sixth day. Now we skip to the next chapter, but it's the very next verse. The very next verse, verse one says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Talk about messing up your theology because Psalm Psalm 121 says that God never sleeps or slumbers, that God does not grow weary. He does not rest. He doesn't need to rest. But it explicitly says that after six days, God rested And I don't think he was resting for his sake. I think he was resting for our sake because he was showing us a discipline. He was showing us something that we were to learn from and walk away with. This word rest or this word Sabbath in scripture, the Hebrew word for that is one that you may have heard is called Shabbat. And it's very, very customary. It's required, in fact, in the Jewish culture that on Sabbath, on Shabbat, they rest they're, in fact, they are very, some would say legalistic about it because uh, in, in even their elevators, even in their elevators, they, they don't push the button. Like that would be considered work. Don't take the state, you, you, right? So, so they're very, they, they, they take Sabbath very seriously. And in our culture, we, we've lost sight of this. And I want to try to hone this in, not for us to become legalistic about it, but for us to really grasp to the promises found in this. In 1933, um, a German theologian by the name of Gerard von Rod, he said, he said this, he said, among the many benefits offered to man in Holy Scripture, rest is the most overlooked. And so I want to remind you today that this, this idea of Sabbath, um, it made the top 10 list, guys. <laughs> you know the Ten Commandments? And, and these Ten Commandments, most of us do a pretty good job of, of abiding by these because we would never consider breaking them. Like murder? Got that one covered, I think, you know? We would never wake up and be like, who can I murder today? You know, it's like we don't even, we don't even consider it. Uh, stealing? Yeah, got it. Okay, don't steal. Um, don't commit adultery? Okay, got it. I'm going to try to figure, I'm going to try to stick to that one, you know? We do, I don't have to try to talk you into those. But there's one on this list that we break every week. And I just want to, my goal today is to really hone this back in and to show us the benefits of this in not a beat you over the head manner, but actually in a motivational, wow, I can't believe I've been missing out on this idea. So practicing Sabbath, and this is really what I want you to catch today, it really is hard work. 
If you think you do what you do during the week is hard work, I would say that's nothing compared to practicing the Sabbath. That being disciplined enough to have a Sabbath every week is way harder than the work that you do every week. And you might be thinking, that's crazy. How is it harder to rest than it is to work? I think it's harder to rest than it is to work because we don't do it. Which means that it's hard for us to do it. If it was easy to do it, we'd all do it. So I want to give you, real quickly, I want to give you five ideas or five principles about the Sabbath to help you accomplish the hard work of rest, okay? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to write this down. Okay, number one, if you're taking notes, Sabbath is medicine. Sabbath is, is, a, is a medicine. Practicing the Sabbath is a, is a medicine. This is what I mean by this. It's a medicine for a particular kind of sickness. It's a sickness called striving. And we live in a culture where if you're not striving, you're not living. If I asked you how you're doing, every one of you, I would, I would venture to guess that every one of you would say, I'm just really busy. And I would look at that as, yeah, you're normal. Guess what? And I would say back, yeah, me too, man. I'm busy. Like if I asked you how you were doing and you're like, man, I'm actually pretty bored, man. I got, don't have a lot going on. I'm just kind of chilling every day. I, you know, in our culture, I would look at you like, what's wrong with you? You're lazy. You're such a loser, you know? <laughs> you're such a loser. But, but we have this idea ingrained in our culture. In our culture, fast is best, you know? To, to speak from the great theologian of Talladega Nights, if you're not first, you're last. It's, a, it's all about speed. It, it's all about accomplishment. It's all about succeeding and achievement. And our culture ingrains this into us. And the world says we must perform in order to be accepted. And we even ingrain this into our children that they need to work hard and work hard. And if you want to succeed in life and if you want to do this, and I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm all for hard work, but I'm just trying to get you in, in, along with the idea of our culture. The world says that if you, if, that says you must move fast in order to move up. And if at first you don't succeed, try and try again, you know, just work harder, just do more hours, just, just sleep less, just do whatever it takes. And it's ingrained in, into our culture. Um, as I, you know, I'm, some of you would think I'm young, but I'm old enough to remember some stuff, y'all. Like, I grew up with a rotary phone. Remember the rotary phone? Somebody said amen. Rotary phones were terrible. What are you talking about? Rotary phone. I hated the nine. Nine was like. We had a party line. Y'all know what a party line is? You pick up the phone. And he's like, what are you doing on the phone? Get off the phone. I need to make a call. You know, we, we had party lines. But there was also this thing before email and before texting, before phones, where you actually mailed letters. You remember this? Like if you worked in the business world, you actually, if you needed to ask another business or another company something, you would sit down and you would type a letter and then maybe on a typewriter or on a printer or whatever, and then you would fold the letter, you would put it in an envelope, and you had to lick the stamp, because they didn't have self-sticking stamps yet. You had to lick the stamp, which is a great Seinfeld episode, by the way, where she dies, okay, or whatever. So we had, you had to lick the stamp, you had to, and then you would mail it, and then guess what you would do? Wait. <laughs> you'd wait, and you'd wait, and, you'd, and then they would mail a letter back, like weeks later, and you didn't think anything of it. It was just normal. 
Now, if you text me and I start to text you back and you see the bubbles, I'm just going to say, if you text me and your text appears on my phone, green, not blue, we can't be friends. I'm just going to say it. I don't care. You got to be blue. You got to be a blue text. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. And you see the blue typing that I'm replying to you and then the blue bubbles go away. You're like, I can't believe it. He's not, you know, five minutes past. I can't believe he hasn't texted me back yet. It's this pace. It's this pace that we live in and these expectations that we've put ourselves in. I love what John Ortberg said. John Ortberg said this. He said, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. It's a disordered heart. According to John Ortberg, hurry is a heart condition. It's a heart issue. What in us feels this obsessive need to hurry? It's, it's, it's got something to do with our heart. I love what um, Jesus talks about. I talked about this a couple weeks ago in my sermon. And Jesus in John chapter 15 is talking about this idea of bearing fruit and producing fruit. And he says, if you want to know how to produce fruit, when, when it comes to God's kingdom, you just remain in me. You just, I mean, when's the last time you walked through a vineyard and you saw the branches on the vine going, trying to produce fruit, just try harder. We're going to produce some fruit. No, it's, it's quiet. It's silent. It's peaceful. Why? Because the branches understand how fruit is produced. Fruit doesn't come from external hard work. In the principle of fruit, it comes from an inside source that comes to produce fruit. There is no striving in God's kingdom. So why do we strive so much? Why do we work ourselves to the bone? Why do we neglect our families for the sake of success? Why do we neglect our own physical health? We won't work out. Why? Because I'm too busy. I'm just too busy. I, I have to go through the McDonald's drive-thru every day. I got to eat fast food. Why? Because I'm just too busy. And we neglect the things that are most important in life because we're too busy. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. And Psalm 61.1 says this. It says, my soul finds rest in God alone. Psalm 116.7 says this, it says, return to your rest, my soul. Come back. My rest has departed from me. My rest has been lost, and I'm asking the rest to come back to my soul. And Sabbath, when we practice Sabbath, when I'm, I'm going to go into some details, some very practical stuff, when we begin the discipline of practicing, practicing Sabbath, Sabbath will expose the areas of your heart where you think you have to strive in order to succeed. What, when you're practicing Sabbath, that thing in you that's like, well, I just need to get up. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. That's the area where you fail at depending on God for. Sabbath is medicine. It's medicine for our heart. Number two, if you're taking notes, Sabbath has a rhythm. Sabbath has a rhythm. So let me, let me show you this text in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. In the message, it says this. It says, are you tired, worn out? burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a, re a real rest. Walk with me and, and work with me. Watch how I do it. Now, I want you to watch these words. Learn. It means you don't know it. You got to learn it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So with rest comes grace, not the other way around. I must learn this rhythm, this pace of, of rest. So I want to do an experiment with you. Let me show you something, okay? 
So I'm gonna clap, clap a rhythm, and I want you to clap it with me. Not with me, after me, okay? So I'm gonna clap it, you'll learn the rhythm, and then you clap it. Now, if you don't have rhythm, just sit this one out, okay? Because I can see, like the nine o'clock, I was like, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. It's just not your thing. Okay, you ready? Ready? You're gonna, you're gonna do what I do. Not bad. Edmund, not bad. Okay, you ready? It's always funny, right as I start to clap, I see somebody that's like, oh wait, I don't know. <laughs> it's, like, it's funny. <laughs> All right, ready? Wait for it, okay. Nice, one more. Wait. Okay, ready? Now, what I wanna teach you in this little illustration is that most of us wait for the clap and we think the clap creates the rhythm. But in music, I'm no musician. I don't have a degree in music. Oscar could come up here. Kevin could come up here. Juan could teach us about this, about, about music theory. Marcy could teach us about music theory. And there's something in music that creates rhythm. And in music theory, it's actually referred to as rests. So when you're reading music, as you're reading the melody, in the music are rests. And in music, there are whole rests, there's half rests, there's a quarter rest, there's an eighth rest, there's a sixteenth rest. And depending on how long you rest is what creates the melody. I actually want to illustrate it further. My, my, my friend Juan is, is going to join us here. Juan, I want you to illustrate to the fine people of Victory Church what music looks like with no rest. All right, can you do that for us? Okay, now I want you to play the same melody, but with rests. How many of your lives sound like the previous? Do you know what kind of movies they put that music in? Horror movies. That's the lady running up the stairs with the guy chasing her with a knife and everyone's like, why are you going upstairs? There's nothing up there. Now, what would your life look like if the melody that God really wanted for you was more like this? Why do we, why do we spend our lives doing what we do? God has a melody for your life. God has a beautiful song, like already pre-written for your life. He's got the lyrics written. He's got the melody written. He's got the pace, beats per minute. And the only thing holding it back from being, being sung and being played is our inability to create rest.
I love what this particular theologian said. He said, God is sovereign, and it is not without divine design that he writes the music of our lives, which include his rest. And he goes on to say, his rests are not to be omitted. For to do so would disturb the, mel- the melody. And let us remember that along there are me- along- that although there may seem to be no music in rest, there is no making music without rest. We must learn the unforced rhythm of grace. It's a pace. It's a rhythm of our life, and God wants us to learn this. God wants to create and illustrate to us what life should look like, sound like, feel like, and be like. Number three, let's talk practical. Sabbath needs system. The reason you don't practice Sabbath is because you have not created a system for Sabbath. It's the only reason. And this is illustrated in in Scripture. I want to show you this. So God is sending down manna from heaven, and they're going out and getting the manna every day, and they're working the manna. They're cooking the manna to eat the manna. It's work. And so he corrects them. He gives them instruction in Exodus chapter 16, verse 22. He says, on the sixth of the day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. It's a system. He said, tomorrow you don't get to work. So do enough today to allow you to plan to rest tomorrow. So creating your Sabbath is, you must create a system. You must create systems. If you're a business owner, you must create a system for your Sabbath to where your employees know that on this day, you do not call me unless the building is on fire. And even if it is on fire, call the fire department first and then call me. It's a system. It's a system. You must train people how to treat you. you must, even if you're disappointing people, you must train people how, how to, how to um, work around your plan. So we do this as a church. We have a system at Victory Church for our staff, and I just want to tell you what it is. Our system for our staff is Fridays or Sabbath. So if you ever get mad that you can't get a hold of a pastor on Friday, I'm so sorry. Suck it up. It's Sabbath. Now, we're not legalistic about it. If you, if you have a death in the family, you have an emergency, we have pastors on duty. We're ready for that. And we, the Bible, you know, Jesus said, if your ox falls in the ditch on the Sabbath, do you not pull it out? So it's not about being legalistic, but Fridays is our Sabbath. Sundays are not our Sabbath. We're kind of working here. So don't get legalistic. You just pick a day. Pick a day. Some of you work Sundays. Some of you work Wednesdays. Pick a day, and today is going to be your Sabbath, and you create a system. Some of the systems we've created as a staff is we've agreed not to do work on Friday. Work even includes email. Even if I have something on my mind or something on my to-do list and I want to get it off my mind and onto your mind so I send you an email, even though you're saying that that's your Sabbath and you're not going to look at it till Saturday, even if you see it and that little bubble pops up on your phone and it's like, you know, click me, click me, I'm here. I've just put work on your plate and I've tempted you to work on your Sabbath. And so we don't text, we don't email, we don't call about work on Sabbath. It's just, it's just a system. 
It's a system that we've created. And, and pick a day and rest. Okay, now what does that mean? What does it mean to rest? Uh, again, don't be legalistic about it. What fills your tank? Uh, two weeks ago on my Sabbath, you know what I did? I got a chainsaw and I cut wood all day. And I was happy, man. You put a chainsaw in a dude's hand. Mm. <laughs> Testosterone was flowing that day, man. It was a good day. That was enjoyable to me to run a chainsaw all day. I enjoyed that. I, that was a Sabbath rest for me. So don't get legalistic. You don't sit, well, I'm watching Netflix today because it's my Sabbath. You don't have, if that's your thing, do your thing. Find a hobby, go play golf, do something. Just rest, work in the flower beds, go on a walk with your spouse, whatever. Just do something to find this Sabbath rest and create a system around it. And if something comes up, something comes up, you know, something that you can't miss, you know, your child's birthday falls on your Sabbath. Like, sorry, son, we're not celebrating your birthday this year. No, don't be legalistic about it. Just pick another day to, be, to do your Sabbath. Just be intentional about resting every single week, okay? Uh, let me show you this, the, 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 what the Sabbath is about, okay? Not to be legalistic. In Luke 14, 5, uh, they asked him, they asked Jesus, if, it, Jesus asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? Don't be legalistic about it. If you've got something you need to do, do it. You know, God's not up there waiting for you to work on your Sabbath and then lightning's going to strike you. You know, it's, it's not like that. And this is why, because in Mark 2, this is what Jesus said. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If, sa if, if, man, if you were made for the Sabbath, then it's your duty. And you have to just salute and say, yes, sir, it's Sabbath. I'm not doing anything. That's not God's heart. God's heart is he created the Sabbath for you. It's a gift. You should take it. It's a gift. So I want to go on and, and talk more about this. Okay, so let's go to the next one, number four. Sabbath has a promise. Okay, now this is where I really want to drill down and teach you and motivate you to actually do this. Okay, I want to show you some stuff that, that might motivate you. Because um, it's, not a com it's, it's, it's not a command that we're bound to. Okay, it's a promise that we're invited to. And I'm just giving you an invitation to something this morning. And I'm trying to, to, to um, convince you of the importance of Sabbath. So let's, let's go to a, a text here. So when God gives, gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, there's ten of them. And some of them, God's like, you know, I'm not going to expound on this. Do not murder. Got it? You know, he didn't go into detail. Do not steal. Some of them are just like, there it is. I'm not going to expound on this. I want you to know how serious God is about Sabbath. He talks more about Sabbath in the Ten Commandments than any of the other ones. And it's the one that we do the worst, which is probably why he wrote the most about it. And I want to show it to you. It's in verse 8 of, of chapter 20. It says, Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy, and six days you, you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, Neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor your, nor your foreign residing, foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And this is what I want you to catch. This is in the Ten Commandments. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Not a rhetorical question, not a trick question. Which day did the Lord bless? Sabbath. So when you start day one of your week and you work yourself 
to the bone and you fall in bed at 10 o'clock and you're exhausted, God's like, yeah, I'm not going to bless that one. Appreciate your hard work and I'm proud of you and I'm glad the work you're doing. And I'm not saying I'm disappointed in you, but I'm saving my blessing for, for another day. In day two, you get up and you do the same and you work yourself to the bone. And then you're a person who practices Sabbath and none of those things are bad. That's hard work. And hard work is a good thing, y'all. But then you wake up on Sabbath morning and you take a deep breath and you say, oh, this is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice in this day and I will be glad in it. And I'm not doing nothing that I don't want to do today. And I've created systems for it. Everybody I know knows that it's my Sabbath. And if I don't reply to your text today, don't get your feelings hurt. I'll text to you tomorrow. It's my Sabbath. Social media, uh, you out of here today? It's my Sabbath. I don't need you, right? God looks down from heaven and goes, this is the day that I will bless. What if you never feel like God blesses anything you touch because God's waiting on you to practice Sabbath before he gives his blessing? His blessing in this text didn't come in the first six days. It came on the day that the decision was made to rest in Sabbath. And we know some companies that do this well. We all, we all know Chick-fil-A, right? Chick-fil-A, they don't work on Sundays. It's a Christ-centered company and they choose. But what you may not know is we have people even here in our city that practice this. Uh, Swadley's, you know this really great barbecue place called Swadley's in Oklahoma City? Can we get, can we get amen? Uh, Brent Swadley the owner of, of Swadley, he comes to this church. He's right here. He's on the second row. He's here right now. He's, he's here at the OKC campus, sitting right here. Several years ago, Brent came to me and he said, John, I, I, I think we're going to start closing on Sundays. And he said, this is really hard for us because Sunday is one of our highest grossing days in revenue. But my staff need a rest. And we just want to begin to honor the Sabbath and close on, on Sunday. And then we talked about a year later, and, and, and you know, he can correct me if I'm wrong in this, but, but talked to me a year later, and he's like, John, you know what? We grew. Our revenue increased. Why? Because God blesses the Sabbath. God blesses it. When we stop, you know what Sabbath shows God? Sabbath shows God of you stepping back and saying, you know what? I've worked really hard, God, but without you, I can't do anything. And so today, I'm going to rest, and I'm going to believe that you're working on my behalf while I rest. And would you rather have yourself working or God working for you? <laughs> it's the same principle as tithing. What we, when we tithe, what we're saying is, God, I believe that me having 90% blessed is better than me having 100% without your blessing. And Sabbath is very similar to this. When we are intentional about Sabbath, I want to show you a blessing in scripture, when we do this, and I believe this is what Swadley experienced, and so many of us that, that practice Sabbath. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13, this is in the Message Bible, it says, if you watch your step on the Sabbath, and don't use my, my holy day, God say my holy day, for personal advantage, and if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing, quote unquote, business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you will be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor, Jacob. Now, what does that mean? This, this idea of the, the inheritance of Jacob. 
Well, I want to I quickly show this to you. I don't have a lot of time, but I want to show you real quickly. And then you can go back and kind of unpack this more yourself. If God is saying that we get to feast on the inheritance of Jacob and all I got to do is take a Sabbath, I'm like, I want to know what this is. So there's several times in Jacob's life where he has bestowed, he has given a blessing, three of them that I want to show you today. You can go back and study these for yourself. Genesis chapter 27 is when his father blesses him, okay? Uh, when Isaac gives his blessing on to Jacob and, and he, he, he says so these sort of things. He says, I'll, I'll give you dew of heaven. Uh, I'll give you the fatness of the earth. Uh, plenty, I'll give you plenty of grain and wine. All of the thing, these things speak to provision. I'll give you everything you need. I'll give you all the provision that you need. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. We get to feast on that. You may start a new job and the day you arrive, everything just gets blessed. And the boss is like, well, I don't understand. Ever since you got here, our company just started thriving. And you're like, oh, I know. It's because I'm here, you know? It's this, this idea of blessing. He gets another blessing uh, when he's leaving and he goes on to meet Rachel and, and, and uh, Leah, his wives. He's, he's in Bethel. And he wakes up and he says, surely the, Lord, the, the presence of the Lord was in this place. And then God bestows him another blessing. And God tells Jacob, I'll give you the land, the north, the south, the east, and the west. I'm going to give it to you. This is part of his ancestral blessing that it later says we get to partake in. And then on his way back, when he came back to meet Esau, he's in the same place. He comes to Bethel again. He builds an altar. God speaks to him again and bestows another blessing upon him. And this time the blessing is be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply, and a nation will come out of you. So the other blessings were all about you and your current situation and your current needs and your current provision and your current territory and what you need to do while you're on this earth. The third blessing was about, hey, hey, Jacob, when you're gone, your legacy will continue. I put such a purpose in you that generation after generation to the third, fourth, fifth generation will be blessed because of what you do. And the Bible, your Bible, your Bible says that if we will honor the Sabbath, that we will feast on the inheritance of Jacob. And all we have to do is rest. But that's hard work. It's hard work. It takes intentionality. It takes discipline. It takes things that we don't like to do. But we, I'm, I want to convince you of this today. Let me close. Let me land the plane here. I want to talk to you about this meeting we had and this, this really reverent, holy moment. Um, before I do, I want to read you this text, okay? I want to show you how serious God is about Sabbath. So in Leviticus chapter 25, let me read this to you, verses 1 through 5. He says, The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land that I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. God is so serious about Sabbath that he wants to tell them that the land that they plow needs to rest. The land itself, the earth that he created needs to rest. Verse three, for six years sow your fields and for six years prune your vineyards and gather your crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest. A Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows or itself or harvest the grapes of your unintended vines. The land is to have a year 
of rest. So we, we were at this meeting and we've kind of, we've spent two solid days just crazy focused. We're exhausted. And we've come up with these initiatives and we really believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken and given us these initiatives and where we're going to go. And we'll, we'll, we'll roll those out and I'll be telling you about those in, in months to come. Um, but man, I, I, I have to admit to you, as I read these and as, and as we looked through these, I was just like, man, that sounds exhausting. And I just, if you know me very well, you know I'm pretty blunt, and I just kind of say what's on my mind. And I just said to the guys, I was like, man, I, I'm tired. I don't know that I'm ready to kick this off. I go, are you guys tired? And they were like, we're exhausted. And I said, if we're tired, it means that our staff is tired. <laughs> and if our staff is tired, it means that we're all humans and it probably means we're all tired. I said, we can't come back with these initiatives to the staff and say, all right guys, everybody pull up your bootstraps. We're gonna, I know we just finished a marathon, but we're gonna start another one, you know? I said, we're too tired for that. And this mediator that had come to walk us through this, this strategic operation event, uh, he asked me a question. He said, John, he said, when did you become the senior pastor at Victory Church? And I said, 2004, 2014. And he said, John, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. November 1st of this year will mark the seventh year And there was almost a, there was almost, and we went to this text and we read this text and there was almost a repentance in our heart. Shame on us for not allowing the land to rest. And so it was a word for me. It was a word for our staff. It was a word for the leadership. But I believe with everything in me that it is a word for this house. And if it's a word for this house, it's a word for you. That we need to enter into a season of rest. And what does that look like? I don't know what it looks like for you. I'm not saying you have to shut down everything and shut down your business. That's crazy. We're not shutting down the church. We got, we got to keep going. We got to keep doing what we're doing, but we're going to be intentional about finding ways in the midst of this life that we live to be intentional about finding rest because we believe that God blesses it. And if all we did was strive and strive and strive and we got to grow the church, we got to do this, we got to build, we got to build, God may just be up in heaven going, man, I, that's all great and you're doing a good work, but I need you to rest. I need you to have a Sabbath. And God's like, I'll bless the Sabbath. I'll bless that. And I want to show you real quickly the same text because in chapter 25, it goes through all these details about the Sabbath. And then in verse 26, in my Bible, the header of what I'm about to read you literally says reward. 
I'm like, God couldn't have made it more simple. He's like, if you Sabbath, here's your reward. If you let the land rest, here's your reward. If you take a Sabbath rest, here's your reward. And this is what I want to read for you, Leviticus 26.2. He says, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, here we go. I will send your rain, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. And your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and your grape harvest will continue until planting. He's saying there will be no breaks in my provision for you. It will be ongoing. And you will eat all the fruit you want and live in safety in the land. And I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. And you will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Watch verse 8. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. And your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will eat, you will still, watch this, you will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. And I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you, and I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. By honoring the Sabbath. (laughs) Now, the Bible is usually pretty quick to tell you what you will get if you do what I say. And then it'll also say, but if you don't do what I say, this is what's coming. And so the rest of that chapter, I'm not going to read all of it, but I want to pick out a couple things to show you. Verse 16 says this, you will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. If you don't honor the Sabbath, if you don't let the land rest, you're going to plant. You're going to have to do all the same hard work, but it won't be fruitful. Somebody's going to snatch the seed up. Uh, verse, verse 19 says this, I will break down your stubborn pride. You know, what, you know what? When you don't do the Sabbath, you know what God calls it? Pride. And I will make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. And your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of your land yield their fruit. And I, there might be somebody in this room who've worked your fingers to the bone and you've tried to build a business and you've tried to build something great and you have tried and tried and you, you come up blank because you're like, I can't work any harder. There's not enough hours in the day. I can't work into the night. I can't, what, what else can I do? What if the only thing holding you back from seeing the blessings that you so pray for is by honoring the Sabbath. And by doing so, God places his hand and places his blessing on it. Number five, final principle. Sabbath is an invitation. It's an invitation. Now, when you get an invitation in the mail to a party, what that tells you is you don't have to go if you don't want to. It's your choice. The invitation is in your mailbox to practice Sabbath. It is completely up to you whether or not you will be disciplined enough to create a system and to begin to practice the idea of Sabbath for your home. It's an invitation. And we see this invitation in Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest 
for your soul. This is an invitation. And this is what I came to present to you today that I believe is a word from the Lord, is an invitation for you to begin to be disciplined enough to practice Sabbath rest and watch what God can do with it. Pastor Wade, you can begin to make your way to the stage. I want you to have a ministry moment for Edmund and lead so well like you always do. So you just come on up whenever you so choose. Can I pray for you? Can you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just one moment? I feel led to kind of lead you through the same process that I felt like the Lord led me through. Because the first thing I felt that day in that room was deep conviction. It was, a, it was a conviction. It wasn't a beat me over the head. We talk about that in here all the time. God doesn't convict that way. It's an invitation. So I'm going to invite you into this prayer of repentance. Because if you're like me, I don't always get this right. I don't always practice Sabbath the way I should. And I want to repent. If it's a command, if it's in the Ten Commandments and I haven't been doing it, I, I need to repent. And to repent means to turn from, to make a 180 turn and to say, I'm sorry. So just in your own way, I don't even want to lead you through a prayer. I just want you to begin to pray in your own way. And I'll, I'll say my own prayer. But just begin to, to speak to the Lord. We won't linger on this. We'll try to get us out of here as quick as we can. But Lord, we just, we pause for a moment to confess our sins. <laughs> We've labored and labored and labored and labored and labored. And our pace to our melody is so fast that we're pretty sure we're not even making music. And we ask you to forgive us. We ask you to forgive us for trying to write our own song. And today we come back to you, Father. And we ask that you would rewrite it, that you would put in rests into our rhythm. We invite your grace to come in, God. Uh, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come even tonight as we sit in our rooms and sit in bed with our spouses and our friends on phones and we talk about this and we process this with our spouses and with our friends. God, would you give insight and wisdom? In Proverbs, it says that if we ask for wisdom, that you will give it every time. And so, God, I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight to create systems for rest and systems for Sabbath. And God, as we take the initiative and we drop our shovels and we rest, God, I pray that you would pick those shovels up and do more work than we could have ever done. Kick open doors that we could have never opened. Bring in customers that we could have never brought in. Give us jobs that we do not qualify for. Whatever it is that we're needing from you, Father, I pray that you would come and do what only you can do because we believe that when we do Sabbath rest, that that is the day that you bless. Speak to us today, Father. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Give us direction. And most of all, give us rest. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.